God for the privilege and the opportunity to, for us to actually have God's word freely spoken and freely taught and freely declared um, here in this community and in this country as well. Um, as we get on today with um, a mini-series in Titus, I mean, I want to share a, a bit of a personal account. I mean, just this last week, I mean, a colleague at work kind of asked me this. He says, oh, so Bertram, you're a pastor then. And I had to, you know, I had, I had let on, you know, that I was involved in, in leading in the church and, you know, we sit next to each other, just new teammates. And she went on to share how she watched the life of a colleague who was a church leader. And she had seen inconsistencies between a life that was always concerned with herself. You know, the usual chatter about, I'm the head, I'm blessed, it is well with me, and, you know, this is not my, that's not my portion, those kinds of things. Yet, at the same time, not seeing this person seeming to have concern for the people that they were working for, if you, if you get what I mean. So, she, 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 I mean, we work in an area of housing, and this person would make out, you know, comments about, ah, that person, man, they're not going to get housed. That, those kinds of things. And these inconsistencies bothered her. So, just left her wondering, so where does your Christianity come in, in the way that you work? Where does it come into the way that you um, carry out what you do amongst men in the world? You're a Christian, yeah, but you're in the world. Where does your Christianity reflect in what you do and how you interact with people? So, um, you know, I just thought about this, and I thought, wow, this is, this is really, really interesting. I don't, I don't know about you, but if you're a believer, just a reminder, you're in the world as well, and the world's watching you. The world's looking to see how your life as a believer affects your interaction, your involvement in the world. Um, if you've never paid careful attention to that or thought about it, Bear that in mind, because other people make something out of it and see how you represent Christ. So, think with that in mind, I mean, just think about some of the things that go on in this world that we live in. I mean, the headline speaks for itself. We live in a, in, in a, in a democratically ruled country where... Potential leaders shape culture quite significantly. I mean, look at Vince Cable, in the, the newly appointed Lib Dem leader. I think he was the leader before, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, still wants to legalize cannabis. I hear that. As a solution to managing the influx of, other, of harmful concoctions added in by those who vend the stuff out. All right? Uh, just last week, it was in the news that 
education authorities forced a Catholic school to remove the words mother and father from their child admission policy in case it penalized gays. I mean, family structures um, and styles, listen to this, fluid, very fluid family structures and styles are taught, as in T-A-U-G-H-T, in schools, in the school curriculum now. And there are many education, there are many people in that sector here. Do I have a witness? Is that right? I'm not making that up, am I? So that's taught in the current, um, is it SRS curriculum? What's that subject called? PSHE, all right. So <laughs> that's taught in the, in the curriculum. But <clears throat> like that's not enough, <clears throat> just last month, I mean, Ealing Council was in the news. You know Ealing Council, right? You live in London. You probably, maybe for those of you who don't know, there's a council in, the, in London called Ealing Council. It was in the news last month when he decided to introduce public space prohibition orders to keep anti-abortion protesters from demonstrating outside an anti-abortion clinic. And, if, and as if that wasn't enough, um, I read a comment from an MP, Yvette Cooper, who says that no matter how strongly protesters feel about um, abortion themselves, they don't have the right to harass, intimidate, or distress women who need to make their own very personal decisions with their doctors. I mean, like the headline says, Labour MPs are now pledging to use that decision as a stepping stone to putting such orders in place for how public spaces are used. We were just talking about um, outreach on Saturday, right? Public space. The point is this, the culture we're living in is evolving. It's like a fruit tree, it produces more and varied, this is my own coined phrase, low God content crop. I mean, there are calls for less use of custodial sentencing as a way of achieving reform in the life of criminal offenders, the media, the music, the film industries are all keeping up with and reflecting the changing culture. So it seems like culture is, you know, taking a really, is moving very fast towards getting God out of the picture. That's the world we live in. It gets more like the ungodly Cretan culture that we have heard about, I've been told about in the introduction to the letter, Paul's letter to Titus. I mean, this trend should cause us to think and ponder, what about us, the church? Are we being left behind? Do we need to adopt some of the, what the world is doing to get by? Um, do we be part of the office politic, for example? Should we be the chief dissidents who call for that annoying team member's head on a platter, or the teacher who 
uh, swears that child is never, never getting an A for this course as long as I have breath in me? Should that be the kind of approach we adopt to get by as believers? Um, what about those who offend us? Just, we just take personal offense to them. Should, what, what should be our response as believers? How do we live as Christians in a world that is less and less godly? And what rationale is there for living like we choose to or like we should in this culture? And when we think about it, when we come to realize or find out how we live as believers, to what or to who do we owe it ultimately? These are three questions that Paul answers as we turn a leaf to the third chapter of his letter to Titus. But before we go ahead, let's pray for a minute. Let's ask God as we pray for answers to these questions. And let's ask, Lord, how do we live in a day where men still say there is no God? When our culture would have the church conform to its norms, there's increasing pressure for churches to be compelled to be involved in same-sex marriages, and all other kinds of things that we know are not your will. When men say, isn't Jesus all about love for whatever that means for themselves? This is your church, Lord. We come to you, Lord Jesus, as to the living stone, which had been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. We also, Lord, ask that as living stones, that come to you, you build us up. Build us up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Build us up that we may offer up our lives as spiritual sacrifices. We daily want to offer our lives in the manner that is acceptable to you, O God. And we ask that you bring us to see how to live for you in this world while it still remains. Remind us of the place where you've brought us from to be with you. Remind us of the sacrifice that you've made when you offered your body for our sakes, Lord. We pray, leave our hearts today, rest assured of the promise that remains for us in Christ. Not just now, but for all eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now to our first question, how do we live as Christians in a world that is less and less godly? How do we do that? Um, Look at what we see in verse, uh, as as we turn to to, to chapter 3, reading verses 1 and 2 of Titus. Please turn with me in your Bibles there. I know I've got it up on screen, but just turn with me as well so you can see and refer back there, maybe when we uh, have left here. Um, we live with a sense of duty towards men. That's just a simple answer, but let's, let's look at that for ourselves. We live with a sense of duty towards men. Remind them to be subject to rulers. This is Paul speaking to Titus giving Titus instructions for the church, in, for the churches in Crete. 
Um, remind them, Lord, uh, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Um, you see, we set reminders. Don't know if you use the reminders on your phone or you, use a, you still use a, a, a good old paper diary or calendar. And we set reminders for things we already know about or are aware of or don't wish to forget. And how could we forget? I mean, why would these guys need reminding? I read about a Chinese proverb recently in a book on culture. If you want to know, the, pro the proverb goes like this. If you want to know what water is like, um, don't ask the fish. Why shouldn't you ask the fish? Sorry? Fish can't talk. <laughs> the well, the correct answer is fish don't know they're wet. They don't know. I mean, in one sense, in one sense, of course, there is nothing fish know more than water. But the proverb points to the difficulty of understanding our own environment. Um, the one in which we are completely immersed and which we take for granted as normal. So, still reading from the book, I was going to say, speak, Lord, but I still haven't hear it. <laughs> still reading from the book, which is a practical guide to culture. Um, for those of you who may want to refer to it later, John Stone Street and Brett Conkle. Culture is for humans what water is for fish. The environment we live in and think is normal. The main difference is, um, the main difference is, unlike the fish, we make our own environments. Like fish immersed in water, we become so immersed in ways of thinking and patterns of living that we become unable to recognize them. So if the culture we live in shapes our perceptions of reality in similar ways and short of doing the hard, intentional work of examining the culture around us, it won't occur to us that we should be any different. So we could be living in the world and just acting like everybody else. But here, Paul has to remind the church of a duty to act or to live in a certain way. So taking an intentional look at the culture back then and seeing the instruction that Paul gives to Titus for the believers in Crete, how do we live, uh, sorry, how do we live as believers in our culture? I think the instructions here would serve us well. They would serve us well in that Paul says, remind them to be subject. Subject to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, to show every consideration for all men. Let's just go through that quickly. I'll go through a few of them, otherwise we'll be here for the rest of the afternoon. Um, to be subject is to 
this, I mean, this, this basically involves a willing submission rather than being constrained by another to submit. You willingly submit yourself to authority, obviously, because it refers there to rulers and to authorities. And um, whilst when we think about our immediate context, we may protest injustices. I mean, you often hear people talking about being stopped and searched one million times. We may protest injustices, but <laughs> um, by authorities, but, but this means what it says on the can. If someone who is vested with authority pulls you over, what do you do? Sorry? I don't hear anybody saying pull over. <laughs> pull over, simple, you know, because um, they have the authority to do that. They're vested with that authority. Um, it's not time to start shouting about being a king's kid or being racially targeted when nothing has taken place to show you that that's the case. Yes? Be obedient. I mean, this means to obey authority. I mean, where or in who is power vested in society? We've got a prime minister. You can say whatever you like about her. I mean, she goes to Brussels to talk about Brexit and has the authority to do that, right? If it's not her, it's David Davis, right? If it's not him, it's not Jeremy Corbyn. It's, it's not anybody else. It's, it's not Boris. They can say what they want, but she goes and does and concludes those deals, right? Power is vested in her to bring Brexit to come to pass. So where is power vested in society for you as a young person or a child? Is it in mom or dad, the class teacher, head teacher, or in public spaces? Is it the parking enforcement officer? Did you put your car out there where it says buses or coaches only? Oh, somebody might, I hope somebody's not going to go out that door right now. Because that guy with the ticket, or even if you don't see him, has the power to slam that ticket on. But Paul says to be obedient. He also says, I mean, there, there, there are many other instances where that comes into play. It could be at work. Is it that team leader who's vested with power? Or that director or that senior partner or the financial controller who just puts a lid on your spend that you're not happy with? They've got the power. They've got the authority. Um... Here's a sidebar on obedience. Disobedience often has this thing about giving authority a bad name because it doesn't like the authority that power has to check disobedience's abuses. Does that make sense? He also says to live being ready for every good deed. This one really gets me. I mean, to be ready. In other words, preparedness, being ready, readiness. Am I prepared for every good deed? Are you prepared for every good deed? I couldn't resist this, this example 
So pardon me if it's, get, if it's too close to home. But is it just Karen, Pastor E, Harriet, Judith, Neil, Camille, Marina, Jessica? If I don't mention your name here, don't feel bad if you're, you're ready and putting your hands to the plow here at Ecclesia. But is it just these guys who are ready to take up things around here? And for every opportunity that God presents to us as a church, we are members of one another. We are members of this local body of Christ. We're representing him here in this community, in this less and less of God culture. And God throws us opportunities to respond and take the mission of making the gospel known forward. Is it just Mikey P, Byron, Paul, Paul, Jason? Is it just these guys who are ready for every good deed? How can I forget Harriet? <laughs> I did mention her. I don't think I did. Did I? Ah, so she registers so hard, she's ever ready. <laughs> Come on. But there's plenty of work that Christ has made ready for his church to do in this less and less of God world. Um, time's running out on me already. But he goes on to, to say to malign no one. It's not the duty again. Another sense of duty to malign no one, to speak about someone in a spitefully critical manner. I mean, spite is so, is malicious and it's usually petty. It's usually a petty desire to just harm, to annoy, to frustrate or humiliate another person. Bitter ill will. I sent somebody, somebody at my place of work says, that woman, she just got too much red eye. <laughs> I'm thinking, what's that all about? But they know what they're talking about. They know the ill will that they just get and receive from others. You notice that Paul made no exceptions to malign no one. No one, no exceptions. Don't matter what you think about the people in the culture. Don't matter how arrogant or obnoxious they are. To malign no one. To be peaceable. <laughs> We're Reds. Reds not here today. <laughs> Give us some examples last week. I mean, to abstain from fighting. Would anyone who gives it to you get it back from you full throttle? It caught you off. Would you, would you, would you, I mean, one instance like that, I think I was hurrying somewhere with one of my boys, and this guy was just busy reversing in the road, and the traffic light was green, and I'm thinking, what, is, what in the world is he doing? And I just decided to overtake Cut this guy's maneuver off and overtake. He got so mad, enraged. Forgot about his reverse and blocked me off. <laughs> then, 
By this time, my heart's racing. <laughs> and he's out of his car. I'm not, like, where did this guy just suddenly appear from? What are you, what are you doing? You're blah, 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 yeah. Come on now, come on now. You. He called some names. And I was like, ah, oh, God. <laughs> well, I'm not going to big myself up. But, <laughs> but you've got to remember things like this at those times. Will they get it back from you full, full throttle? To be gentle and then showing every consideration for all men. Another duty. Remember, these are believers living in a godless culture who were getting this instruction, right? The thought here is of gentleness. I mean, um, gentleness in correcting those who are opposed to the truth, who are opposed to what you profess, what you claim. So, think about this. Let me give you an example that just makes this point clear. I mean, I remember one time so many years ago, so, so many years ago, I, I, was a, I think I was a young believer then. Um, <clears throat> this lovely young colleague just spoke with me at work about her relationship with her boyfriend and wanting to move things forward and how they had been sexually involved. And boy, I'm like, you what? <laughs> you what? Ah, oh, after a f about 30 minutes of telling her how it's just not the thing, it's not done, God will have mercy on your soul. In fact, let's pray. Never you do this again. And rah, 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 rah. I, I, see, I see now why she did not come back to me. <laughs> she did not come back to talk about anything. Anything. She's a believer. But hey, showing every consideration for all men. <laughs> you see, some of these things might just leave us pondering. Remember, who would live their life like this in this day and age? Come on. If you remember Lloyd Grossman asking that question, who would live in a house like this? <laughs> who would live their life like this in a culture that is just less and less godly? It just looks like foolishness. I, I mean, I'm almost tempted to take these as a few suggestions and just, yeah, I heard you, Bertram. I always knew you were not streetwise. <laughs> I'll take these as suggestions, but I will modify it when I get back to work on Monday. Be obedient, right, <laughs> to that ogre of a manager. <sighs> but then, you see, seeing this list, Paul is not giving Titus a few suggestions. I hope you don't go away thinking that they are suggestions. Because we will see later on that Paul urges Titus to teach these things because they are beneficial to all men and to do so with all authority, not letting anyone despise him. It sounds foolish, but we're not, but think about it. Are we not fools for Christ's sake? 
It is not for our sake. We're not trying to big ourselves up as, yeah, I'm going to be reigning with Christ, so you better listen to me. <laughs> uh-uh. Paul went after the people in that culture, that, in a culture that's intentionally turned against God. I mean, how does this address, address the challenge that culture throws in our face then be, you might ask? The mission remains the same. The mission remains the same. We want to be, as we say here at Ecclesia, faithful on mission. Seeking to save that which is lost. Paul looks back at the rationale for this. Why do we have to do this? What's the basis for these things you're saying? Well, come to our second question. (laughs) Why should we live with such a sense of duty? What's the rationale for living with such a sense of duty to all men? I mean, it stands to reason that to save the lost, when you think about it, it takes one who is found to show what it is like to be saved. It takes one who was lost and is now found to show what it's like to be saved. Because look at that. We also once were foolish. We didn't understand the things of God. You stand up here and tell me you always knew the things of God. You always appreciated God even before you became a believer in Christ. The culture is this way because men don't understand the things of God. Men at their very best hope for a world without religion. As in, we don't want religion imposing constraints on us achieving the fullest of our human potential and our capacities for life and well-being. That's why we want to legalize cannabis, for example. That's why we want to just license and manage prostitution because it hopefully reduces transmission of sexually transmitted diseases, right? That's human thinking. That's human wisdom. But that's what we also once were. Hence the sense of duty to, hence hence that thinking that Paul, that, that actually God instructs and Paul gives to Titus, we have a duty to live in this manner to the world that is lost. Because we also once were lost. Let's see how Paul addresses this. We were foolish ourselves, times when we also did not understand the things of God. We were disobedient in contrast to obedience, which we're just talking about. We were not obeying authority. We were deceived. We were caused to wonder. How much does it take to get led away by anything these days? How much does it take? Just a touch of an attractive, alluring person? Or just, you know, crack open one episode of, episode one of one season of 20 series, and we can spend a whole time on whatever it is we want to watch? With all the cultural baggage 
godless cultural baggage that it just floods into our minds. The culture wants freedom from restraint, and it is quite liberal. It wants God to stay at home while society goes out to handle the things that matter. Men go out to handle things that matter. Keep God at home. We were once that way. We were once enslaved. And, you know, Jesus is really gracious about this in, in John chapter 8 and verses 31 to 47, where he tells people, tells the, the, the religious leaders of his time, look, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they're like, we've never been in bondage to anybody. We're, we're children of, we're descendants of Abraham. But the point is, they never lived as people who obeyed God. They were descendants quite right, humanly speaking. But when it comes to obeying God and living out the God life, lacking. That was us too. Well, given to pleasures, enslaved to lost and various pleasures. I've heard of places where um, <clears throat> I've heard of places where people just go to have fun. Just put, that's putting it politely. Adult holiday clubs, all kinds of things that people get engaged in. That was us. I don't say this from a sense of ah, look at me, saved now, or never was. I couldn't be caught in these kinds of setups. But that was us too. Hello? We were enslaved. We were spending our life um, in malice. We were just talking about malice a minute ago. We're spending our lives in envy. I can't believe sometimes the things I hear. But I seem to forget that that was me too. Look at him. Just has a big chest. Look at his legs. Skinny like hockey sticks. <laughs> What's that all about? And he thinks he's cool. Nonsense. Envy because, yeah, he's going with someone, he's going with someone I'm interested in. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Thanks, thanks Pastor Rob. I thought I was alone here. <laughs> Envy and, and just hateful and hating one another. I mean, the guy next door has a nice 67 Reg car that can drive itself. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't get road tax. Meanwhile, Sadiq Khan would add an extra 10 quid if I go into central London. <laughs> wonder how he got it. Must have got it on HP Finance. Envy. <laughs> Envy. Stop it. Just stop it. That was us. That was us. Could still be. <laughs> but Paul does not leave it there. He doesn't leave it there unless we have any sense of attaining by ourselves. Attaining this by ourselves. You know, he goes on to remind us that when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. 
missed something there. Notice that it starts with a contrast. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, I don't want to interrupt what he's saying, but I, and it's quite tempting. I'm struggling not to interrupt it, but notice the whole idea of, lest we begin to think that we had anything to do with the transformation from being there, that was once us, to where we are now, let's understand something that... Um, It is God who does bring about salvation. Look at, look at what I've highlighted there. Who is it that, is, that shows his kindness to us? God. Who is it that loves there? It's God. Who is it that saves us? It's God. Who is it that shows us mercy? It is God. Who is it that pours out his Holy Spirit upon us? It's God. Who is it that he pours it out to us through? Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead. Who is it that justifies us by grace? It is God. It is God who saves us. It's, it's according to God's mercy. It's by the washing of regeneration, not something we can do ourselves. We didn't go to some special river in India or sleep on some mountain for seven nights and seven days and then suddenly come back, oh, you know, nothing like that happened. We did not do it. It's amazing how much things we kind of pick up as we, when we think back about life and how we've come to where we are, you know. I'm tempted to digress, but time's moving fast. <laughs> it's so fast when you're standing up here. Oh, listen. <laughs> so, it's God who done all these things. It was according to his mercy. It was by the washing of regeneration. It was by the Holy Spirit that we're renewed and reborn. It was God who poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. He did this through Jesus Christ, and he justified us by his grace. It's God's mercy that saves us. Is there any chance you have anything that you think counts for anything in our relationship with God? It's not a dare. I mean, this is the cheeky side of me. I'm tempted to say, yeah, come and stand here if that's you. <laughs> but I'm not expecting a response. I really am not. But if there is a response, save it for after the service. Come, let's talk. I think we need to talk. If you think there's anything that gives you some credit with God as far as having a right relationship with him is concerned. All right? It's God who does that, does all these things. So for a start, um, why? We, we've, we've said that we... We're called to live with a sense of duty to all men. And secondly, we owe that sense of duty because indeed God has shown us mercy and saved us. We didn't do anything to bring ourselves to this place where um, we owe it to all men to, to, uh, to to live a life that shows 
the salvation and the grace of God upon our lives. Why? Because we didn't bring it about ourselves. It's what God has done in our lives that, we, that God wants men to see. Let me restate that again. It is what God has done in our lives in saving us that God would have men see. If you hear, for example, that there's someone who heals and he heals the blind, guess what? I, I borrowed this from um, Pastor John MacArthur. I heard him saying this. He said, you will ask the question, show me somebody who was blind, who now sees. Let me see them. Show me somebody who was once lost, who was once enslaved to lusts, who was once envious, hating and hating one another, who was once malicious, who was once disobedient. Show me somebody like that. I see loads of you here. That's what God chooses to use to save men. These people who are testimonies of God's grace upon their lives. So, the whole idea of salvation is God's idea. He got this started and he got it started for a purpose that we might be instruments he would use to also show in this godless culture how men ought to live. Um, I think it was Pastor Rob a few years ago. I think, I'm not sure if you've used that illustration again <clears throat> or that visual to show how you demonstrate the beauty of diamonds. Not just by holding them up against the light, but you put them against a very dark, contrasting background so you can actually see the beauty of the stones themselves against that background. You as lights in this world, evidence of God's grace, people God has saved, people God has born again, people God has washed by his word. God chooses to use you as instruments of his grace to show the world, to show a godless world, an increasingly godless world, and it will continue to go that way. So that you shine and stand out, we shine and stand out as lights in this world that will show the glory and the mercies, the grace, the salvation of God. So we see, and um, ask ourselves in this place, how do we now live as believers? <clears throat> we live being subject to uh, rulers and authorities. We live obedient, ready for every good deed. We live maligning no one, peaceably, gently with consideration for all men. And we do this for the sake of... I mean, we do this in recognition of the fact that God indeed has done a great work in our lives. God has indeed transformed us. God has washed us. God 
initiated our salvation. He saved us. It's nothing we did by ourselves. We didn't bring it about. It wasn't our idea. And we have no place, no right, no grounds to be big-headed about it as though, yeah, look at me. I'm better than that guy out there. He's just godless, ungodly, forgetting that was once me. But for the grace of God, as they say, there goes I. But God chooses to use you, me, these instruments, these, ah, instruments of his own creation because he saved us. His workmanship and he's prepared us to, <laughs> he's prepared us <laughs> to be instruments that he uses indeed to continue to spread the good news of his salvation among men. Pardon me, I couldn't help laugh at that. <laughs> One moment. Okay. So how are we to live? Let's remember the duty that we have to all men. Let's remember where we were in our former condition. <clears throat> Let's also remember that um, the people that we want to reach out to are acting in the way they do because that's just how humanly we act. That's the only way they can act. And let's remember also that we also were that, but now are saved. And it's only by God's grace that we are where we are being used as instruments called to live with a sense of duty to these who need to be saved as well. As we have received mercy, as we have received pity, as we have received God's kindness, let's also remember and bear, um, be gracious as well to extend the same kindness because God gives us an assurance of an inheritance with him it's not just for us. We want others also to come into the same inheritance that God makes available for us through Christ. They're in a pitiful, pitiful condition. We need to pity that condition because there we were and God had pity on us as well. Um, <clears throat> well, I invite the praise team to come up. Let us uh, just bow our heads for a moment. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.